Buongiorno everybody and welcome. This is Identity Unlocked and I'm your host, Vittorio Bertocci. Identity Unlocked is the podcast that discusses identity specs and trends from a developer perspective. Identity Unlocked is powered by Yof Zero. In this episode, we focus on WebAuthn, FIDE2, and various other mechanisms we use for authenticating users without asking for their passwords. Our esteemed guest today is John Bradley, Senior Standard Architect at Ubico, an author of a very large number of very important specifications at ITF, W3C, and OpenID Foundation. Welcome, John, and thanks for joining me today. Hi, Vittorio. Thanks for having me. I guess I'm the, the author of a lot of frustration for developers. So hopefully we can unwind a bit of that in today's podcast. I'm sure that uh, developers are forever grateful for the contribution you brought in their day-to-day of uh, reading those uh, long and uh, super useful specifications. Can we start with uh, how you ended up working in identity? I'm sure it's going to be an interesting story. Well, started quite a while ago when I was working for a telephone company. I started a competitive local exchange carrier. We were delivering one of the first people to deliver internet over raw fiber. We're trying to sell identity services, basically as a way of tracking billing back in the day. I also was associated with Exert Software, which was uh, one of the first PKI providers. We had a company called GT Trust where we ran a, a, a CA for judges and other other people in Canada. So I actually hearken back to the um, PKIX days and the PKI forum was my first introduction and sort of migrated through the various standards from that to OpenID to InfoCard, SAML, uh, lived through the obscure IDWSF, WS Trust Wars, which was a I guess when we first met uh, around InfoCard and WS Trust, and then worked for the U.S. government, writing some of their standards for um, identity systems and OpenID Connect, OAuth, and now I'm working on WebAuthN and the FIDO2 standards, which Apple has now rebranded Face ID for the web. So now that Apple has made us cool, we're done. All right. You finally arrived now that Apple is uh, on board. Yes. Very nice. And so now you are at Ubico, right? What do you do at Ubico? I wrangle standards, which is you know representing Ubico in the standards organization and to some extent playing referee between the, the other large companies in the, the standards organizations, making sure that Google and Microsoft play nicely together so that to the benefit of the overall community. Very nice. Once again, on behalf of the community, thank you. You are doing uh, fantastic work there. Great. And you already mentioned one of the questions that I typically ask, which is how we met. So we met back in the day for uh, the InfoCard times, so like uh, 2006, 2007? Maybe before that. Before either of us had gray hair, not saying anything. But yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> Indeed. Wow, it was a while ago. All right, perfect. So thank you. Great introduction. Now let's jump into the meat of the episode. We want to talk about uh, WebAuthn, FIDO, and all these things in which you are playing a key role for. My suggestion is uh, 
Can we start by clarifying what the various terms people hear about this really mean? Like, for example, could you walk me through the sequence of events that started from uh, FIDO, what was FIDO, what is FIDO2, all the various parts? Like, tell me a story. I can tell you a story. The first thing to know is that the thing that FIDO is the worst at is marketing. So there's a whole bunch of terms which even the people who are involved don't necessarily understand the relationship. So initially, there was work between Ubico and Google to create an internal authentication system for used by Google employees, which became known as U2F, Universal Second Factor Authentication. Independently, PayPal and Knock Knock Labs started the FIDO or organization, Fast Identity Online, Not no relationship to President Lincoln's dog. So Fast Identity Online had the mantra of trying to eliminate passwords. There were mostly focused on doing biometric authentication on mobile devices, cell phones. So both things were probably a bit ahead of their time, but all things that are successful are probably start off being ahead of their time. Very true. In order to not be seen as competing with each other, Ubico and Google decided to join FIDO and contributed the U2F standard to that organization. So the merger of the universal second factor technology, which people may be familiar with, where you type in your, your username password and then use a security key as the second factor, which you see for Google Advanced Protection, uh, GitHub, and other places. So that U2F technology, along with enhancements from UAF, the original FIDO standard, became what's now generally referred to as FIDO2. Although to confuse things, there is nothing that is FIDO2. It's sort of like the spoon in the matrix. FIDO2 is a marketing term. There is no standard called FIDO2. So don't look for a FIDO2 standard. You're never going to find it. Okay, great. I, I said the thing they're worst at is marketing. So the actual standards that that fell out of this is one called WebAuthN, which lives at the W3C because in order to make something like this successful, as we, we learned back in the info card days, you really have to have browser buy-in. So if the platforms don't want to do it, you're facing an insurmountable battle. So the way to co-opt the platform vendors, Microsoft, who hadn't implemented U2F, Apple, to get them on board, we moved the part of the protocol that goes between the relying party and the web browser into the W3C, which was a more natural fit. The part of the protocol that goes between the web browser or platform and the actual authenticator is called CTAP, Client to Authenticator Protocol. And there's a CTAP1, which was U2F, and CTAP2, which is the, the newer version of that that supports the passwordless login experience. So the CTAP is the thing that... Uh connects uh, the browser, like tells what is a standard way of connecting the browser to, for example, your hardware key. Yes. So that uh, now you can have uh, hardware keys from different vendors. As long as they follow the standard, uh, the browser knows how to take advantage of that hardware, right? Right. And WebAuthN provides a standard way for RPs to interact across all the different browsers, Safari, Firefox, Edge, New Edge, and Chrome. 
And so just to unspool that part as well, here the practical uh, angle is uh, relying party is a website. Yeah. And uh, web often is the thing that tells uh, to the browser how to talk to the website for doing uh, authentication. Right. It's solid chain in which uh, the browser knows how to talk with the authenticator using a setup. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, once that is done, the outcome is uh, like uses web often to talk to the website. And now the website knows what to do to authenticate the user. Is that like in a layman terms of what happens? Yes. So web authn is part of a standard JavaScript API in the browsers. It fits under the credential management hi- hierarchy in browsers. So it's the asymmetric credential management part of that API. So it's a standard JavaScript API that you would use in the same way that you would call other JavaScript APIs inside the browser. And the the outcome of those calls is sent directly to the website? Like, how, how does that exchange works? You get an object back from the JavaScript, and it's up to your JavaScript to send it back to your, your back end. I see. And on the back end, you need to use something to digest this object and decide whether you like it or not. That's another place where there's a bit of FIDO infrastructure. So FIDO has a certification program for validation servers, which take the tokens and validate that, yes, this is a particular account or was correct for a given login. So there's back-end infrastructure that you can build yourself or buy or a good number of open-source projects that people can integrate that would help them validate tokens. And, of course, there's lots of people like um, Azure who are more than happy to outsource the whole business for you. I see. So here, if we were to connect to the classic topology, you might have uh, your uh, website or relying party that uses uh, something higher level, like, I don't know, OpenID Connect uh, mm-hmm. or some uh, to talk to some authority. And then uh, you could do the web often with this authority so that your website right. doesn't really know what's happening and uh, the implementation is really coming from the provider. Right, and all, all the usual suspects, Azure, Active Directory, Google, ForgeRock, Ping, and Okta all have a smorgasbord of different services where they'll do some amount of federation, some amount of multi-factor authentication, and now pretty much all of them are offering WebAuthn, Fido, as uh, one of their multi-factor offerings. And so uh, multi-factor, great point. Do you see web often used more as a first factor, as in uh, you just use that instead of a username and password, or do you see it uh, as something that complements username and password as a second factor instead of a classic OTP and similar? We have the broadest coverage in browsers for the second factor use case at the moment, but now with the next release of OS X and iOS 14, with Apple adding multi-factor authentication platform authenticators into the operating system. So every iPhone will have an authenticator built into it. Every Android phone will have a multi-factor authenticator built into it. It may be that the pattern that develops is if you're bootstrapping a new device, you might use an external authenticator and a username password external authenticator. But 
the RP will would likely set, discover, ah, yes, you have a platform authenticator in the browser that you're logging in from. Wouldn't you like to configure it so that you can use Touch ID to log in next time? So people will wind up, in most cases, configuring a local, as Apple calls it, you know, Face ID or Touch ID for the web credential on individual devices. So either OS X, Windows, Android, iOS, Chrome OS, you know, they all will have built-in authenticators, and then people will use roaming authenticators like the YubiKeys or Google Titan Keys or what have you as a way of moving identities strongly between platforms. But other than for high security things where you might not trust the operating system on the phone, people will likely use the um, built-in authenticators with your, your Touch ID or Face ID as a convenience thing for logging into most sites. So the, the goal is eventually as people will log into websites in the way that they're similar, they're familiar with for logging into applications on their phones with when they have biometric authentication. And in fact, the applications on their phones may become progressive web apps and all take advantage of the same infrastructure. So a sure sign of success is that nobody will know what we're talking about in the, in the public when you say, oh, yes, I'm, I I developed WebAuthn, and they'll go, well, what the heck is that? I, I just used my fingerprint to log in. How hard could that have been? Yeah, that, that that's a nice the dream. How could it have ever been any other way? <laughs> that would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, you said something interesting about applications becoming uh, PWAs. Given recent developments in which apparently WebKit is not going to implement a large number of advanced APIs in order to avoid fingerprinting, it doesn't look super likely, at least on the Apple operating system. But that's a discussion for another day. So basically, the idea is uh, once this thing is ubiquitous, once uh, every device have an uh, independent authenticator, then uh, websites will just be able to use that uh, as a first and potentially only factor. And so we'll break free right. of uh, the various issues that we have with passwords and similar. Now, that sounds fantastic, but I do have a follow-up question, which is, uh, say that you don't have a roaming authenticator like the YubiKey. Say that you are relying on the one that you have on device. And say that you forget the device on the back of your Uber or uh, any equivalent flow. With a password, you have uh, like your recovery mechanisms and similar. So somehow you can get out of that situation. What do you do when you're using uh, an authenticator? Well, the best thing to do is have multiple phishing resistant authentication methods registered so that you do have a, a recovery, you know, recovering your, your strong credentials based on an email address recovery, you know, probably isn't going to keep attackers out as much as you had wanted because they're just going to go after your email account to be able to do privilege escalation. So you should have multiple authenticators registered and the relying party sites, the websites are going to have to think through what their credential recovery actually needs to be, whether they also allow you to register a federated account as a backup way in you know, there's a number of, of different options. It's going to be hard to completely get rid of passwords, but maybe the password can just become your, your backup recovery code that you put away in your safety deposit box. 
my solution is, you know, I have one YubiKey around my neck, one in my wallet, and others stashed in, in safety deposit boxes in various countries. So you can see where, where I've gone with that. Of course, uh, you have uh, enough uh, digital literacy to know how to handle your uh, accounts. Uh, it's not because of you work for YubiKey, but because uh, you are an advanced user. So you have strategies for dealing with these kind of situations. But I'm thinking of a senior citizen that is a customer of a credit union in rural Iowa. You cannot expect this person to go around with a, uh, a key ring of uh, authenticators. So here we'll need to, as an industry, find uh, a way of uh, creating new practices, as in maybe you register both your phone and your uh, iPad at home so that if something happens to one, you have something to the other. Because like, uh, the thing that you mentioned about saving the keys, I was just uh, watching one uh, presentation at Identiverse. Someone from Authy was saying that the vast majority of people, when they sign up for some service that gives you a list of backup keys, mm-hmm. they just don't save them. Either they email it to themselves, and then it's kind of like uh, security-wise, it's not particularly secure, or they just don't save them. So I guess that as an industry, we'll need to find ways of making sure that people can take advantage of these new capabilities without creating backdoors. Right. Certainly account recovery is going to be one of the the big things that we need to address. Again, account recovery just through an email or a single SMS are bad and counterproductive things. Once all the devices have built-in authenticators, you know, as people use more devices with given services, those services should, you know, offer to register both for convenience and for backup. People are more likely to do things for convenience than for account recovery. So having, you know, credentials on those devices is going to take care of a large part of it. But again, you don't probably not going to have a backup cell phone and put that in a safety deposit box. And that's where you know, some of these roaming authenticators, which, you know, aren't horribly expensive compared to a cell phone, may well be things that uh, people are either purchase or are given as part of services. Do you, in the standard group, ever consider uh, scenarios uh, a bit a la Black Mirror, as in uh, implants and similar? Not that we discuss out loud. (laughs) I suppose that's possible. I mean, certainly roaming authentic, phyto-authenticators have been built into rings and earrings and occasionally braided them into my beard. So, you know, it depends on your notion of wearable. Certainly the authenticators will become more integrated into our lives, whether it's a, a ring that does both FIDO authentication and your credit card payments built into, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all for uh, now that Apple's also drank the Kool-Aid to see an authenticator in your Apple watch that can work independently. If you have a device that already does NFC, it's not hard to add FIDO functionality to that. You know, we've certainly talked to the U.S. military about FIDO dog tags to basically up-level the amount of security. I mean, people don't love their cat cards as much as some people imagine. And, you know, they're not necessarily useful for a lot of things on the web. So, you know, if we have secure standards that are capable of meeting the use cases, I can see FIDO authenticators being built into a lot of different devices. I mean, there's even a, there's a company in Canada that makes an EKG 
monitor that has a uh, FIDO authenticator built into it. Nice. If your heart stops or you take it off, then then you can't authenticate anymore. <laughs> okay, that's probably the last of your problems in that case. But uh, it's good uh, to have a, a lightness detection. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yes, that's great. Fantastic. So let's come back to Earth after this uh, deep into science fiction, which might not be science fiction for long. It's not science fiction. You can buy all of it now. It's, I mean, yeah, you can, you you can just third, buy it. You can, you can certainly get it. Very nice. I, I'm actually going to look it up as soon as we are done here. Yeah, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know about surgical implants. Like that, that's going a bit far even for me. Well, we, uh, I remember years ago that there was this uh, party in Ibiza in which people got an RFID embedded in their triceps so that they could uh, buy drinks without actually pulling out any credit card. I guess that with the COVID ongoing, that use case uh, will probably not be mainstream still for a while. But hey, if they did it in Ibiza, who knows? Maybe we'll uh, start seeing it here as well. I've heard of that in bars, not bars that I go to, but bars in, in around the world. It's not not just the Nabiza thing, contactless payments. I, I understand that some members of society don't actually have large amounts of wallets. I know that isn't us. You know, we always have a surplus of wallets, but if you happen to be going out in skinny pants and whatever, then that is one reason why people have uh, gone to uh, chipping themselves. COVID has driven up the uh, prevalence of, of contactless payments. Indeed, that's another good forcing factor. All right, perfect. So thinking about the current set, all the standards that we described are all uh, fully released, uh, already fully considered uh, RFCs or standards, and uh, we have implementations. What else uh, is the working group working on? What's the next thing that is not released yet that you guys are still working on? Well, we have a lot, actually. So WebAuth and W3C standards are called levels. Why? I do not know. But we're close to finalizing level two of WebAuth and CTAP version 2.1 and in FIDO, adding all sorts of interesting new features. We've been working with the web payments people to try and better integrate web authentication with some of the payments use cases. For people who uh, administer servers, we're adding the ability to have SSH certificates attached to your FIDO credential so that you can use a FIDO authenticator to log on and administer servers in a phishing-resistant manner. And you can, when you provision the credential, you can install a certificate with the credential so that all of your, your roles can be automatically delivered in the same way that the SSH administrators are, are used to now. So good new SSH functionality on the tech side, some additional privacy features, a bunch of enterprise, new enterprise features so that enterprises who are deploying these functionalities for their employees can do asset tracking on the authenticators with an enterprise attestation. Some new KDF functionality for key derivation. So when you log into your password manager with your WebAuthn device, the password manager can use that credential for key derivation to be able to decrypt its local password store so that if your computer is compromised, nobody can get back into it without that credential. That will also allow websites. So SaaS services would be able to use the encryption key derivation part of WebAuthn to 
encrypt data at rest so that when you're not logged in, they can throw away the uh, decryption keys and only be able to decrypt your data when you've actually logged in. So there's a good number of of new features as well as sort of cleaning up the uh, cruft and the specs, you know, based on feedback from people who have implemented it so far. That sounds fantastic. Really, really interesting uh, developments. And I'm looking forward to see more of that. Wonderful. I want to thank you for your time. This was awesome. Really interesting. I learned a lot. It's already over. We only we just started, Vittorio. We can go for hours. We just started, but uh, <laughs> we can. But then uh, I guess that people would... Uh, we can actually have you again on the show, mostly because uh, you have uh, your hands in uh, so many different pies. Like, for example, the, the new developments in the OpenID Connect side, that's stuff that I'd really love to cover. But that would be for another episode. For the time being, I thank you again, and I hope to have you back. I hope to come back as a different expert, perhaps more expert next time. <laughs> thank you, and thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Until next time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app or at identityunlocked.com. Until next time, I'm Vittorio Bertocci, and this is... Uh, Identity Unlocked. Music for this podcast composed and performed by Marcelo Wolowski. Identity Unlocked is powered by Of Zero. <laughs>